1: Moms, I'm Mary Beth Goss, your road trip teacher, a full-time RVing mom at four kiddos on the road, the author and creator over at roadtripteacher.com. We also like to chronicle our travels at DiaryOfARoadMom.com. We'd love to have you follow us over there. I'm so excited to be coming to you live this week from the FPEA. If you are a loyal Road School Moms listener, you've been listening to me talk about it for the last few weeks. I'm so excited to be joined by my road School Mama, Mary Jane Williams. We'll let her introduce herself in a moment. As you know, my co-host, Kimberly Travaglino, the co-founder of Full-Time Families, is on the West Coast. She's out in California this week, so has no um, she had no way of getting back with us uh, here in Florida, but we're so excited to be at the SPEA convention. I, as I mentioned, I'm joined by Mary Jane Williams. I'll let her say hello and introduce herself.
0: Hi there, this is Mary Jane Williams, full-time family mom of six, and I'm so excited to be here at the FTA convention. Can we say the word excited one more
1: time? I think I'm sure I said it about three times, and you probably said it twice. Um, If you remember, MJ talked with me a few weeks ago. She still was a stand-in for Kimberly that night when she had no Internet service, a common problem of ours on the road. Uh, MJ stood in for us on our show all about having vision in your homeschool and using that to plan a, a successful homeschool year. Um, so we are, gosh, I don't even know how to tell you. We've had so much fun. I feel like we've been here for a week, and we've only not even been here for 24 hours, right? No. No. Um, so I have to tell you, we're right here at the uh, FTEA. If you don't know what that stands for, that is the Flor- Florida Parent Educators Association. We're right here in sunny Orlando, Florida. I'm, um, i am I got to tell you, this really is a premier event uh, for homeschoolers from all over the country. I can't believe how big it gets. Even from the last few years when I've been coming, it's gotten so much bigger. Um, we're so blessed to be staying right here at the Gaylord Palms Resort. That's where the convention takes place. You heard it right, Road School Moms. MJ and I are living it up right here in a hotel. Uh Our rigs are parked in Southwest Florida. And I have to tell you, with the gang of kiddos we've got in our room, you know it, we've got a number system going on to use the bathtub. Yeah. We are so excited to be. We're just as excited to be staying in the hotel, right, for a couple of nights. We had to joke about how much stuff we brought. Um, One of the kiddos said, well, I'm so used to having my stuff with me, I didn't know what to pack in my suitcase. I thought that was so funny. Yep. So uh, MJ has drugged me out to some workshops earlier today. We've done a couple of Facebook Live. Um, We've done one from Knotgrass History. I was so excited about that. That's one of the curriculums that my road schoolers use in our rig. Uh, Love that curriculum. We've done a Facebook Live, so if you didn't get to see that, check that out. It's over on the Road School Moms Facebook page. And uh one thing, I guess I want to thank our sponsor, Time for Learning. They are our series sponsor for Road School Moms this year. And while I've got a chance, I'm going to let you hear a word from them. Time for Learning's award-winning, student-paced curriculum for pre-K through 12 is perfect for road-schooling families. Whether you're winding through the Rockies, exploring the Badlands, or cruising down the coast, your children can receive a great online education with Time for Learning's comprehensive and flexible homeschool curriculum. And thanks to our detailed online reporting, record-keeping is a breeze. Hit the road with timeforlearning.com and enter coupon code ROADSCHOOLER to test drive a 14-day trial. And thanks again to Time for Learning for being the season sponsor here on Season 10 of Road School Moms. We're going to be hearing more from them in just a few weeks as we continue the series that we're working on right now on how to plan a successful homeschool year. But today I have to tell you, and I'm going to say the word again because I am so excited, and that is because we, uh, Mary Jane and I went to a a workshop earlier today um, here at FCEA with Andrew Pudwall, the founder and director of the IEW Institute for Excellence in Writing, and he has agreed to come on the show tonight, and we're going to talk to him for a few minutes of all about what he does and how he fits into the homeschool community, so I'm going to let you um, introduce yourself and talk about that.
2: Sure, yeah, Andrew Pudua here. I am a homeschool dad of seven. Uh, all the children are finished with the homeschooling, and I have eight grandchildren, and I get to travel and speak at a, a dozen different conferences every year. And one of my most favorite places to be is the FPEA, not only because it is a pretty classy place to hang out, but the people here in Florida are so welcoming and warm, and the uh, talk options and the keynotes and the special events and activities just make it a delight to be here. So uh, I have the privilege. I I was trying to figure out if this is my 10th or 11th time to speak at this conference over the last... 16 years you know so uh, I certainly enjoy it and uh, I did uh, talks uh, yesterday uh, at the leadership conference for the uh, FBA leaders Uh, and then today I did one talk this morning on mastery learning ability development and individualized paced education and then this afternoon one of my favorite subjects which is uh, composition because of course that's my thing I'm the writing teacher guy Uh, so it was on imitation from copy work to creativity composition. So that's what I do. You can, of course, uh, look at a lot of information about our company, IEW.com. It's real easy to remember, IEW.com. And if you have any questions, call our office, chat with our customer service staff, whatever. But uh, what did you want me to talk about here for your listeners?
1: Well, let's see. I love it that you called yourself that the teacher writing guy, because that's really what we we, we refer to you as that, right, MJ? Um, because we, you really are a, a light for us in the writing world. Um, I know a lot of us out there on the road, we struggle with how to teach writing. We struggle with how, um, you know, the best resources to do that. And, and, and then after we get that figured out, then we struggle with how to get our kiddos, you know, on the right track. But before we talk about writing, I want to remind our listeners, Last year, if you guys remember, I was all about poetry memorization. I don't know if you guys remember that, but every week I would come on and I would explain to Kimberly what we were doing and how well it was working with my kiddos. Um, and so I, I, I think that Taylor even might have recited a poem called "The Yak." I don't know if you guys remember that. The Yak. Um, when you really listen to it, it may not make all that much sense to you. Um, but I can tell you that that poems like the Yak. And the things that they memorized last year really did help them improve their grammar skills. It improved their verbal fluency. Um, so can you tell us how that works, how that works in their little brain?
2: Oh, i love to. I, uh, I'm such a huge proponent of memorized language as a way to help children build the, their, their own database of language. By memorizing poetry, scripture, uh, excerpts from famous speeches, by memorizing beautiful, rich, high-quality language, they build vocabulary. It moves vocabulary from their passive to their active. So by memorizing and reciting, they're more able to use that word in their speaking and writing. But more than that, it it builds templates, patterns, grammatical patterns, so that in their composition, and their speaking, they can construct things in a way that they might not otherwise be able to construct. And I think you were telling him about your your son and how he would kind of say things backwards and he had some dyslexia going on, Uh, but the poetry, you think, really helped him.
0: It absolutely helped him. He uh, had such a change in just the way that he was speaking. Uh, We didn't even have real solid writing at that point, but the way he was able to speak, he went from saying Sentences that were not clear, and he would start in the middle of the sentence, and I was confused. To suddenly he was almost uh, repeating in a in a type of a rhythm, the type of sentence structures that you would you would introduce in a lot of your poetry and things like that. It, it really did change our homeschooling for the best. Yeah, the uh, the discipline of memorized language
2: is really a very ancient one. Of course, you know, uh, the the Hebrew tradition is to memorize the Torah. And, and the Talmud, the commentary on the Torah. And so in Greek, you know, people would memorize the epic poems uh, and recite them uh, at gatherings, you know. So reciting memorized language was fundamental in the ancient cultures. And so it builds language, it builds the vocabulary, it builds the brain, it builds the database of ideas. Um, one of the things that amazes me is Frederick Douglass. Do you know the... The, the man, Frederick Douglass, he wrote Autobiography of a Slave. Okay, so here's a man who grew up in the worst possible education and language development environment you could contrive, right? The worst, like, brutal, separated from his parents, harsh, you know, all day. It was illegal to teach him to read. And he didn't, he was totally illiterate until he was around 12 and then some kids tried to draw letters in the dirt and teach him stuff and then eventually he was, he was sold and, and there was a woman who tried to teach him a bit to read and then of course he obtained his freedom and then he became the greatest orator. I would argue the greatest, if, if not one of the greatest, the greatest orator that America has ever produced, at least since his time. And if you read his speeches, they blow your mind. He, has a, he, he had a speech called, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? Oh, it's so eloquent. It's magnificent. Nobody I know could write something that beautiful. So, it, you know, it raises the question, how could someone who came from the worst possible education as a child, the worst language developed environment, become the greatest speaker the U.S. has produced? for a 100 years, and I know, because in his biography, someone said, Mr. Douglas, how did you become such a powerful orator, and he said, well, one of the first books I owned as a free man was the Columban Orator, a collection of famous speeches from Cicero to Augustine to Shakespeare to Luther to Patrick Henry, all of the greatest speeches of history in English. I memorized them. He memorized the greatest speeches of history, which equipped him, which furnished his mind with the words and the syntax and the rhetorical devices and the po- beauty of poetry and the powerful concepts that he was then able to take in and do his mission, which was to speak the truth powerfully in a world that needed it. And that's what we need today. We need to raise up people who can speak the truth powerfully in a world that so desperately needs it. So I love that story of Frederick Douglass.
1: I do too, and that's such great information and so well said. I'm am so glad you mentioned that because I have to tell you that one of the things that I really resonated with me from your workshop that I went to earlier today on compos- copy work to composition um, was you talked about the greats. You talked about Da Vinci. You talked about Fox. You talked about Benjamin Franklin. All of those greats from our uh, from our history, um, all of those people used imitation in some form to hone in on not only their skills but they actually used that. To um, to the people that studied under them, how does that idea how does that idea equate to us with you know we you know with us with our little people in our in our RVs or mm-hmm. our homeschools or, or whatever our situation is how does that how does that work in their little brains how does that imitation um, further their speaking skills and their writing skills and and on all of that
2: yeah the, everything skills well the imitation is really the fundamental way that we learn things. Um, we learn, as young children how to speak English because we imitate our parents and the people in the environment. We learn how to dance by watching people dance. We learn how to play a musical instrument by having someone demonstrate that, and we imitate that so skills things that we do really cannot be rec- cannot be acquired without imitation. but the modern educational mentality as kind of marginalized imitation. So, for example, if you talk to teachers about memorization and they're, you know, they're, they have a modern attitude, they're actually, oh, that's bad, that's rote learning, that's drill, that's empty, that's that's uncreative. Uh, or if you talk about learning to write by imitating, you know, first copy work and then maybe making the keyword outlines and summarizing from our system, kind of the way we, you know we do, uh, you're imitating someone who wrote something that's good, so you can write something that at least makes sense if it's not good, and then you can imitate authors and, and build up this repertoire of ways to do things in any one skill area, then that's what empowers creativity, right? So as as you said, you know, uh, Bach copied music to get musical ideas in his head, Da Vinci's students copied the Mona Lisa to get artistic ideas in their head. You, you've got to somehow get – you've got to furnish the mind, furnish the mind. One of my favorite quotes is uh, the, the well-known Western author Louis L'Amour. He said, a writer's brain is like a magician's hat. You can't get something out unless there's something in there to begin with, right? I love that. And so when we, when we teach our children – we we don't want to accept this kind of modern idea that, you know, imitation or copy work or learning rotely. I mean, it's not evil. In fact, um, here's an interesting thing. My mother, she's a music teacher. She's passed on now. But she used a term you rarely hear today about memorizing. Learn it by heart. Have you heard that expression? You have to learn it by heart. So when you learn a poem and you memorize it, you take it into your soul when you learn a piece of music and you memorize; it becomes a part of you. And so, you know, when we're on the road, or when we're not on the road, or when we're we're dealing with educating children, yeah, there's the technicalities of how do you teach math and how do you teach writing and how do you get a a struggling reader to read better and what do you do and call it science? know, yeah, there's a lot of questions. But more than that, don't we want to consider? What are we feeding the souls of the children? And and can we find those things which are good and true and beautiful? And sometimes they're a little silly, like the poem of the Yak. The Yak, by the way, just because you mentioned it, was written by um, Hilaire Belloc, B-E-L-L-O-C. And this is all public domain. He lived 100 years ago, and uh, you can get it all online. His his poems, he wrote a whole series of poems about animals, mm-hmm. starting with the letter. So so each animal is, you know, ABC all the way up to yak. Um, there's the vulture, which is uh, right next to yak. Um, uh, the vulture eats between his meals, and that's the reason why he very, very rarely feels as well as you or I. His eye is dull, his head is bald, his neck is growing thinner. Oh, what a lesson for us all to only eat at dinner. Yes. Yeah. So yes, they're fun, they're playful, but there's a goodness, there's a beauty, there's a rhythm, there's a richness to the language and because it's playful children enjoy it and she wouldn't join in, but it was your daughter. I know your daughter. And she walked up here, and she's reciting the poem along with us. So, uh, you know, I just encourage people, you know, if you can get your children to fall in love with language through funny, silly, playful, story type of poems, they'll fall in love also with the sublime, the more beautiful, the refined, they'll fall in love with Wordsworth and Longfellow and Shakespeare. And uh, they'll furnish their minds well, so.
1: I love that. I love that. And I had never thought of it that way, but that is so very true. That's awesome information. One other thing that you talked about, um, young children, that I thought was very interesting, I'll let you hit on that real quickly before we move on to Mary Jane's question, and that was you talked about how – Younger children, even up to the ages of eight or nine, talk to themselves a lot. When they're in an individual situation, you'll find them talking to themselves, and they carry on these big conversations. And I'd never thought of it, but you pointed out why that is and how that helps develop their mind. So I want you to share with that, our listeners, because that was so interesting to me.
2: Yeah, I noticed it, you know, your children talking to themselves. And I realized at one point that in order to write something, you have to have an idea, a memory, an image, an imagination, something in your brain, and then you have to translate that into words so that you can communicate it. And when you translate it into words and speak those words, that's when you hear what you're thinking. If you don't speak the words, it's kind of hard to hear what you're thinking. And so when children talk to themselves all the time, they're doing so specifically so they can learn how to hear what they're thinking. Then they hit a certain age, and they may stop talking to themselves as much because they can internally audiate. So they can have an idea, formulate it, hear it in their mind without speaking it, and write it down. Although, a couple of interesting things on this. Um, in ancient times, nobody did silent reading. Even in medieval times, silent reading is a relatively modern phenomenon. So people used to walk around and read out loud To themselves so they could hear and understand what they were reading Um, and then of course you know people kind of frown upon talking to yourself you know although my good friend Andrew Kern says it's when you don't talk to yourself that's when you're crazy Uh, and then when you get to be about my age you start talking to yourself again so you can hear what you're thinking but you're on the other side of the, the curve there uh, but, yes, I think it's a very important process. And, sadly, a lot of times, and it's getting even younger now with this, you know, optional pre-school, pre-kindergarten that public schools are putting out. And kinder- You take a five-year-old, put him in a class and say, sit down and be quiet and only speak when you have permission. It's a horrible intellectual environment because you're basically saying to the kid, you know, sit down and turn off your brain. You know, stop thinking. And so they do and then they, you know, okay, they need to listen. I ran. I said this in the talk. I ran a preschool for a while, so I had all these three, three, four, five-year-olds, a dozen of them, for eight hours a day, right? And so I would say to them a question, and I let them all answer me at the same time, uh, because uh, you know, you might have thought I was running a zoo; nobody could hear each other. But I actually knew it was more important for them to talk than for anyone to hear what they were saying. So, uh, you know, that's one thing I think that moms can really encourage. And Charlotte Mason, uh, you've read home education, tell me, she talks a lot about giving young children the opportunity to narrate uh, their their experiences, to narrate their ideas, and just tell it back to you. You know, so you read a little story, let them tell it back. Take a little trip, tell it back. You're traveling all the time. you got a lot to talk about. And in telling it back, it solidifies the memory, it clarifies the concept, and it helps them really learn what they're thinking and I think it's so valuable so talking is good at least I think so because I'm a professional talker
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. well you do it so well MJ I know you had a couple things that you wanted to add yeah um speaking from our own circumstances uh we have been using IEW now and we've used it through three different children we've really enjoyed the video classes we've done both the B course and the C course and I noticed uh that we started off with a story of sea snakes, and it was, it was quite exciting, and we did learn a lot. And they do seem to teach us, and they need to, they, they, they're short, but there's something different about them. They, they, they seem to really capture the children. Could you tell us a little more about that?
2: Well, I've noticed um, m- most of the time when I have people say, oh, I have a reluctant writer, most of the time it's a boy. Right? This is something girls just seem to, you know, have a little easier time with the whole reading, writing thing. And, and the boys, you know, they, they are a little more particular often about what they're, the content that you bring to their life. You know, they need relevancy. So I have tried in creating our materials and the people who've helped me do that, I've always tried to find source texts that Kind of engage the boy. So, uh, and I always say, you know, this is true if you're memorizing poems or if you're choosing source text or stories, find something that is dangerous or ugly or violent or disgusting or humorous or preferably all wrapped into one and you'll engage a boy very quickly. So, you know, write about a, a venomous snake, write about, uh, you know, the, the, um, Genghis Khan, you know, this is more interesting to boys than, you know, Betsy Ross making the flag or something supposedly important. Um, I'll give you a funny story. We have this book called um, Finding Narnia. It's a theme-based writing lesson book. And because of something having to do with flowers in the books, there's a lesson on flowers. So I'm teaching this book to a group of boys, and they're like, are you kidding? We have to write about peonies and marigolds? I'm like, okay, I got you guys. So I went and I got a source text on pitcher plants. You know what pitcher plants? Are? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're like Venus flytraps <laughs> on steroids. They're these huge carnivorous plants that can dissolve and feed on an entire rodent. We don't have them around here, I don't think. But, oh, you know, okay, suddenly now. All right, the boys are okay. You know, marigolds, no, thank you. But carnivorous plants, yes. So I'm always encouraging, you know, parents to – uh, think about the content and the relevancy because, you know, that's where the learning occurs. I have another talk, and it's a free download off our website. People can listen to this talk for free. It's called Teaching Boys and Other Kids Who Would Rather Be Making Forts All Day. Have you heard that one? Yeah. Yeah? And so, you know, I'm, I'm always saying if things are relevant, meaningful, interesting, engaging, they're easy to learn. If they're not relevant, meaningful, interesting, engaging, it's hard to learn. It's hard to pay attention. Isn't that true? Absolutely. That's true for all of us, whether we're kids or adults. So uh, encouraging. And I think when you travel, that's one of the opportunities you have, is you see something that's interesting. Hey, let's stop and look at that. Let's learn about that uh, place where people died. Mm-hmm. I, I just um, – I cannot remember his name. He's the guy – so – there was this guy in a textbook, and he was so boring, and I thought, this guy can't possibly be as boring as this guy. I went to an encyclopedia.
0: <laughs> this
2: guy is the one who came in with the Spanish forces, and he wiped out the entire population of St. Augustine oh, okay. and killed all the French. Oh, Just yeah, yeah, yeah. killed them all, right? And then um, he set up the, the French thing, uh, the the Spanish colony. So this guy left home at 13 to become a sailor, ended up becoming a general, ended up killing all the French, founding St. Augustine, becoming the governor of Cuba. I mean, this guy had a fascinating life, all of which would have boy appeal because of the adventure and violence. Not one interesting fact was in the school textbook about this guy. I thought, well, no wonder, you know, you just got to look for it. It's always there. There's always the interesting side of things. But sometimes we think what's important is more important than what's interesting but i'm pretty sure what's interesting is more interesting than what's important
0: (laughs) i like that that's great to remember
1: i'm so glad you added that because that's one thing that we talk about a lot on our show are oh my goodness we love them we we both have them a lot of us have them boys it's so hard to keep them engaged right um and that brings me to something else that you um you like to keep bringing the session back but I learned so much from it in that 40 minutes or 50 minutes I guess that we had something else that you talked about um, and I have to tell you I have to admit it it was the light bulb really went off in my head you uh he talked about uh second graders and how in the public school system you know so many second graders are given those blank journal pages with the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Road School Moms, it's the blank thing at the top and it has the lines at the bottom and there's designed design so that you draw a picture and then you talk about, you know, or have them write a few sentences. And I'm going to have to admit, you know, we've been on the road five years. Every single one of my kiddos have one of those journals, right? And so now I'm kind of, I'm really not patting myself on the back for those journals. I'm thinking I'm going to, ooh, I don't know if I want to admit to having those. Um But what you talked about um, earlier in the session was, how that really isn't productive so explain why because I find this fascinating
2: well I think the analogy I use is is when you when you do this kind of free writing or you do this here write whatever you want with young children they don't really know what to write so they're just kind of fooling around they don't they don't necessarily have you know the conventions they don't know the conventions of writing And there's a lot of public school classrooms that think that the way you develop self-esteem is you just tell kids they're really good. Whatever they do is really good. So the kids write blah, 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 and the teacher writes, oh, wonderful, fantastic, great, love it, love it. But they don't, they don't teach them how to make it right or better. And so it's, it's a lie. And the kids know it's a lie. But the pedagogical equivalent, I think the best analogy here would be music. So if we taught music, if we taught writing, I'm sorry, if we taught music in this country, the way we've taught writing for the last 40-some years, it'd go kind of like this. Oh, I'll teach you how to play the piano. I'll show you how to, you know, press the keys and sit the pedals. I'll teach you the names and the notes. And then what you should do is go home and just fool around, you know, just just experiment, just express yourself, you know, just kind of be creative with the piano and just do that half an hour a day for the next five years and you'll learn how to play the piano. Okay, some truth to that, you would learn how to do something, but what, of what quality, right, of, of what value would that be? Instead, we know what what works is to say, play this piece, play it this way, imitate me, play this next piece, a little bit harder, do this, do these exercises, you know, play this next piece, develop a repertoire of pieces, through imitation, and now you have musical skills, a foundation on which we can talk about creative elements, interpretation, improvisation, uh, composition, right? But the creative elements cannot exist without a foundation of basic skills. Otherwise, what you get is not great. And so if we want to pursue excellence, if we want to strive for the best, we really need to be able to stand on the shoulders of people who have figured it out before. And, um, I think it was Mike Rowe. I quoted Mike Rowe from that show, Dirty Jobs. Right. I love that show. Uh, you know, he said, innovation without imitation is a waste of time. Oh, sure, I'm going to go do reinvent the wheel. Well, it's, it's dumb, and people know it's dumb. So, uh, so with the, the children in their writing, they want to know how to do it. Like adults, right? What's the goal of a child? To grow up. How do you grow up? You imitate adults. This is one reason why schools aren't great places to grow up, right? Because what are they imitating? Each other. So tell me, you know, what does an eight year old get from imitating other eight year olds? Not much. And then they just continue this for years, whereas in a homeschool situation, well, they've got older siblings, they've got parents, they come to a lot of events where they're in mixed groups, they see uh, a lot of what it means to grow up. And uh, this is one thing, you know, that concerns me, particularly about social media, is that kids today are even more insular, right? While social media, theoretically, the Internet should make everybody broader, The way kids use the internet makes them actually narrower. So if you have a newspaper, you've got all different articles, right? But if you're on the internet, you're getting your information from a very narrow, consistently the same source. So if you're a teenager, uh, particularly a girl, and you're spending most of your time on Instagram and Snapchat with like-minded people, and you go to school, and you're with like-minded people, and you're narrowing yourself down. Well, your language will shrink, your thinking will shrink, your understanding of the world will shrink. You become a smaller person as a result, whereas the more broadly you read, the more uh, diverse are your sources of information, the wider range of people you interact with, the bigger your world becomes. So in a way, homeschooling is the best way to grow the experiential uh, fabric of a child's life. That's my observation.
1: That makes absolute and total perfect sense. That's so logical, right? Very inspiring. MJ, do you have another
0: question before we wrap it up? We do. Well, uh, Mr. Padua, I'm sorry, I've mispronounced it for years, we're currently doing your medieval history program, which I just love, and uh, basically my teenagers are taking keyword outlines and they're rewriting uh, selections that you've placed in there, they're rewriting it in their own words and adding pictures, and we have a three-ring binder and sheet protectors. So in the end, we're basically going to have a history book that they have written themselves, which just gives me cold chills. I love it. It's going to be something we hold on to, and hopefully I can show my grandchildren. I love that. Um, so I basically would like to know, uh, I know we can go to IEW.com and check it out for ourselves, but I'd like to know from you, uh, what other types of subjects do you offer which uh are in conjunction with the writing program? Oh,
2: okay. Yeah, well, once the parents have, uh, you know, we we focus on the mom first. So the first thing people do if they want to use our system is they watch that teaching, writing, structure, and style course, and they do the exercises, they learn it, they take it into their themselves, then they can teach it with confidence. Uh, anytime we find someone who bought something from us and didn't like it or didn't work, if we explore a little bit, you know, what we discover is, oh, no, I never had time to watch the parent course. I never took the training. I never learned it. Well, how do you teach something you haven't learned? Our books are not written by this, throw it at the kid, and hope they learn something. Right? Our our books are designed to help the teachers who know the system be more effective in teaching it. But we do have – we've got um, three histories. We've got ancient history, medieval history, U.S. history. We have an advanced U.S. history for um, high school level. It's very rigorous, super essay, MLA format, persuasive writing, everything. It's very advanced. Um, we have a Narnia uh, – uh, Finding Narnia, Volume 1, and Narnia, Volume 2. And we had to get permission to use the name from this, mm-hmm. the C.S. Lewis copyright people. Um, we have a uh, great book for boys, Rockets, Radar, and Robotics, I think it is. Um, at the lower level, we have a little thing called All Things Fun and Fascinating, which is a collection of well, inventors, explorers. It's kind of a boy-friendly book. And then one of my favorites is Tablesmiths and Fairy Tales. Uh, and then what? my absolute favorite, of our theme-based writing lesson books is the first one we ever did, Bible-based writing lessons, because then students can, you know, paraphrase and retell Bible stories and write essays about, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian according to Paul and things that are meaningful and deep, but also fun and engaging and strengthen the faith. So we've tried to come up with a selection of uh, books in this theme-based series that are not just about teaching writing, but making writing part of learning about those things. And uh, you're not the first mom to say, oh, I really love how they're kind of writing their own textbook in a way. Uh, which is. Uh, and, and I've known some kids who get so into it, they, on their own accord, go find other source texts that aren't even in our thing, and say, oh, I'm gonna write some more stories, I'm gonna write some more articles, I'm gonna write some more essays in my spare time. I also have had, uh, uh, there's a group out there, they're down in the exhibit hall, Scratchy or Scarfy, I think I can't remember what it is. They do Minecraft. Scratchy.
1: Scratchy. Yeah, you I'm
2: know, Scratchy, okay.
1: See, we're do a go live
2: with oh them. good, oh I love what they're doing. But they've got some teachers doing Minecraft-based writing lessons. Oh, wow, okay, well, that would appeal to some boys. So, yeah, that's kind of what we've got.
1: Okay, well, I just want to uh, – one more idea that I want you to share. You don't have to – I know that we've taken up a lot of your oh. time, and we so appreciate it here. But um, one thing that I uh, – you talked about progressiveism, and I've heard you say that new is not always better. So share that last idea with us, because I love that. Because I think that some, I think, we always think that, you know, we're progressive. We're, you know, this is the new thing, and this is what you should do, and you just accept that as the norm. Um, And you pointed out that that's not always the case.
2: Well, it's particular. I mean, we could get political, but we won't. Um, But it is very evident in education today that the new ideas, that have been introduced over the last five decades have not worked. If they would have worked, everything would be at least as good as it was, if not better. But what we see, and it's evident and clear, it's universal, um, students' writing skills are significantly inferior to what they were 50 years ago. Reading comprehension is significantly down. And I'm talking about high school graduates here, and we could say by extrapolation, college students, significantly lower than 50 years ago. Basic mathematical thinking skills, computational skills are way down. In fact, there's kids now that can't do any math at all without a calculator. Right. So so all of the most basic things that we need to function and learn other stuff like science and history and social studies and environmental science. I mean, anything you want to learn, if you want to learn, you need the basic skills of, guess what, reading, writing and arithmetic. That's why they're foundational. Well, by every measure, they're down everywhere in the country. So you'd have to say, okay, well, whatever you've been doing for the last 50 years hasn't worked. But the progressive mentality prohibits the idea of, well, let's go back to when people could read well, write well, and do math well, and figure out what they were doing and try to, you know, reintroduce that. In other words, how about return to tradition? Well, but a tradition is anti-progressive. So the progressive mentality in education is you always have to have a new thing. And then what we discover, as you said, as I've observed, New doesn't mean better. Change is not always good. Sometimes things change for the worst. But no, the idea is no, we have to change. And that means doing something different. And so we keep having these reiterations of this newest idea. And honestly, if we just looked at what people did 150 years ago in education, we could transform schools, but we'd have to – you know, we have to transform people so so that's what we're doing as homeschoolers. We're we're not attached to this, and we'll say, okay, you know, if that's what they did and it worked, I'm good with that. But it's hard to sell that idea to teachers. And sometimes teachers are okay. It's hard to sell that idea. I tell you, it's really hard to sell it to textbook publishers, <laughs> right? Because how do textbook publishers make their money? A continuous stream of new stuff. Why do we keep getting new standards? Why do we have common core? So textbook publishers can make billions and billions of dollars. All of the do- but that's another lecture for another that's time. That's <laughs> awesome. that's
1: so true. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing all of your knowledge and your wisdom. We're so blessed to have had you here today. Um share with our listeners how they can find you online and then learn more about your product.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty easy. We went ahead and, and the bullet and paid for a three-letter domain name it's iew.com and if you have any question info at iew.com or you can call us 800-856-5815 and uh, we got a whole lot of free resources on the website articles i've written free audio downloads and uh, you can certainly call our customer service staff and ask them any question about anything we do and they're all awesome most of them homeschool graduates Uh, very happy to help, so hope to hear from you sometime.
1: Well, thank you so much again. also want to give a shout-out to our season sponsor, Time for Learning. Thank them so much um, for being behind us, being the power behind our road school moms this, um, for this whole season. And, uh, MJ, thank you so much for joining me here at the FPEA. I want to um, give a special thanks also to, that, to the FPEA Association for uh, giving us a table here and, and bringing us on and letting us go around and talk with the exhibitors. And, and bring such great guests such as Mr. Foudois with IEW here to our Road School Moms community. If you're listening to us on a replay over on iTunes, please don't forget, when you get done to shoot us a replay, give us um, your honest opinion of our Road School Moms podcast. Um, We love four or five stars. If we don't get that from you, that's okay. Just be sure and shoot me an email at info at roadtripteacher.com or Kimberly over at Kimberly at fulltimefamilies.com and let us know what we can do to better serve your Road School Moms needs. Um, I think that's a wrap for today. If you are at the FTEA, be sure and stop by our table. We're going to be doing some other live Facebook uh, live videos that'll be in our tucked away in our library as well. I know MJ and I are going to get down to the IEW booth and do a Facebook live from there tomorrow. So watch our schedule for that. And until then, safe travels and God bless.
0: This is Kimberly, and this
1: is Mary Beth, your road school moms on the road where education meets adventure. Until next time, we wish you safe travels and leave you with our traveler's prayer. Lord, be our guide and protector. Let those I encounter be blessed by my words. Let my hands be filled with your work. And may I be filled with your grace and kind words for others. May I be a light unto those around me on the journey ahead. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. If you'd like more information, go to roadschoolmoms.com.